Welcome back. With me, Chris. Not safe for cycling. So today, Tour de la Provence started in southern France, uh, as well as a few other news items. So let's get right into it. So, uh, in France, at the in Provence, uh, first stage, uh, a lot of teams getting their races started um, that had not. Um, so breakaway of two got away early on with Lillian Calmajan and Delio uh, Fernandez from Delco. Uh, Calmajan in his first race, or maybe it's the second race, with uh, AG2R. Uh, some of the best-looking kits in the peloton. I will fight you if you think otherwise. Uh, but they were out front for a while. Nothing too crazy with their flurry of attacks came on uh, the approach to the Monte de Brulette. Brulette. Um, Kamajan was able to take the uh, King of the Mountains points. Um, however, uh, an attack uh, led by Julian Alaphilippe uh, was able to get away um, along with Gianni Mascone, that racist piece of shit, um, and Giulio Ciccone. Uh, so they worked, uh, they, had, they had about 70, they went at about 70 kilometers, but never got more than about a minute and 20 seconds. That was the max. And then it was a slow, steady chase. Uh, Arkea, uh, Groupama, uh, a few other teams, uh, B&B Hotels uh, were up there uh, to help with the chase. Uh, but it was definitely a slow burn, uh, to say the least. Uh, they got all the way uh, back down to the coast. Um, the Mistral wind uh, blowing in off the Mediterranean. Uh, and then with about 2K to go after Alaphilippe tried another dig, he, they, the group was caught and they came back together. The road they were on was absolutely chock full of uh, road furniture. It was atrocious that they were trying to have a sprint finish on there. Uh, a few uh, riders posted videos uh, but holy shit, was it just bad. Uh, surprise, there wasn't even more crashes, to be honest. Uh, especially uh, at 1K to go, there was a turn, there was an inflatable that was partially in the road. Uh, there was uh, multiple um, raised elements on the road itself. Um, it was just an absolute shit show, um, to say the least. Then, at about... 500 or so meters to go, uh, the barriers diverted into the road itself just made it absolutely a chaotic finish, to say the least. In any case, um, Groupama uh, with Arnaud Damar, uh, they were able to get to the front. Damar was the, the first one really to kick. Um, nobody was able to follow him initially. Matt Walls from Bora had tried, wasn't able to really get too much. Davide Ballerini from Decunic Quickstep was the most sprightly behind him. He kind of got caught up on the barriers until about 150 meters to go. He was able to get a gap and then just blast it off. And Damar was not going slow by any means, but Ballerini just had another another kick on him. Uh, I would say it was a very windy finish, so probably sitting in the wheels and getting that, um, you know, getting that rest uh, definitely helped him. So Ballerini was able to come across DeMar in about the last 50 meters and uh, won by a, a bike length. 
Um, while Nasser Buhani uh, came home as best of the rest in third, um, ahead of Clement Venturini and then Walls um, finished fifth um, as well too. So, I mean, the racing was fine. Um, itself ended up in a sprint finish uh, like it was probably going to unless something crazy happened. Uh, and um, I don't know. That, the last road was just absolutely insane and uh, really should not have been shouldn't have been used. Now, if the UCI does commit on their um, they commit on their goal of, you know, creating a, uh, some sort of a database in terms of, you know, finding these roads uh, that are dangerous, that have finishes on them, and then, you know, telling organizers, you need to use a different a finish uh, if you're going to be hosting bunch sprints, I'm all for it because the approach should not have been used. Um, whatsoever. Uh, there was a couple of minor crashes, it seemed like, but nothing that was that took out a, a huge, huge amount of the peloton, at least from what I'm aware of, um, as well, too. Uh, most of the favorites stayed in the main group. A couple of guys did lose some time. Enric Moss, Andreas Leknesud, uh, Tim Wellens um, lost a few seconds there, uh, as well, too, but mo many of the main uh, GC guys uh, will be seem to be fine um, for the most part um, in any case. So stage two tomorrow um, goes from Cassis to Manas to Manasque. Uh, so that has a uphill finish on it. Uh, so that one should be pretty interesting. I'm gonna imagine Alaphilippe, who absolutely amazing performance today by the world champion. I just loved, loved, loved what I saw uh, from him. Uh, absolutely incredible, uh, just for the fact that, you know, he was off the front, attacked off the front um, right at the end, then he gets caught and still gets right on the front again uh, to help Casper uh, Asgrain and then, you know, help lead out uh, Ballerini as well, too. So uh, Ballerini, you know, this could be a really big year for him. Um, you know, it's the second year with the Koenig now. He got close kind of in a few races last year, was second at the Italian Nationals. Um, he did win a stage in uh, Poland, um, that last stage. Um, he beat Pascal Ackermann. Uh, however, you know, obviously that race was marred by the the crash on the first stage, so it was missing a few of the big gems. But, you know, he, he got close to a Giro stage win as well, too. Um but he was only up there once. So, you know, this could definitely be a big year for him if he is able to get a good, get a good calendar and then uh, be able to have that team support um, as well, too. Team Quebec Assos put out a very interesting tweet um, today, a link to a story on their page. I'll put a link up um, in my... Uh, episode here today, but uh, it's talking about one of their continental riders, uh, Nagasi Helu Abreho. Uh, he is from Ethiopia. Uh, there's been a few Ethiopian riders that have ridden um, for them and a few other teams um, in the last few years, uh, mainly their continental team. Um, however, uh, he um, had a very had a very I mean, interesting off season to say the least. Um, if that's even the right way to put it, um, simply because uh, his home region in Ethiopia is the Tigray region and is 
going through a war basically right now that is uh, due to some conflict between uh, the Tigray National Liberation Front, um, who was involved with uh, the Ethiopian government after the civil war back in 1991. Uh, but due to um, some different uh, splits, uh, between different parties, they refused to join the um, the Prosperity Party uh, that was uh, formed back in 2019. Uh, then in 2020, there is even more um, tensions between the two. Uh, the TPLF decided to, um, you know, defend their region uh, and try to break away, honestly, from. Um, Ethiopia itself, uh, which is what caused a lot of the issues with the civil war back in the 90s, and that's where, uh, and mainly it was between Ethiopia and Eritrea, uh, with that, with Eritrea breaking away to form their own uh, nation uh, a couple years after that. Uh, but in, in this instance, um, it's, a, it's a humanitarian um, nightmare, honestly. Uh, with what's with what's happening over there uh, with the Ethiopian government as well as the Eritrean government, you know, two governments that have not really gotten along, honestly, uh, up until very recently when the new um, prime minister of Ethiopia has had talks with the president of Eritrea, uh, and they have actually, you know, it's been warming relations, to say the least, uh, with that. Uh, so in any case, uh, those countries have been going together against the TPLF uh, to crush, um, basically to crush them and to get the, the Tigray region back under control um, as well, too, uh, with that. It, it's, very, it's a very complicated conflict, um, honestly, because in the Constitution of Ethiopia, there is a... Um, subsection in there saying every nation, nationality, and people in Ethiopia have an unconditional right to self-determination, including the right to secession, which is basically what is happening right now with the Tigray region. Um, however, uh, there is another note in there as well, too, that federal intervention, if any state government, um, in violation of the Constitution, endangers the constitutional order. So basically, that's the justification of the Ethiopian um, government to go up against uh, the TPLF uh, with that. It has gotten to the point where um, hundreds of thousands of people have either had to leave their homes uh, or they're basically stuck um, in this region. Uh, some terrible stories coming out of there, um, massacres uh, that of Civilians being killed, hundreds, if not thousands, um, have been have been killed so far uh, in this conflict, um, and it's not just limited to um, Ethiopia and Eritrea as well. Too, um, the UAE sponsors of UAE-T Emirates, uh, they have loaned um, drone. They were launched. They launched drones from a base in Eritrea that were used to attack um, positions in Tigray. So, and then there's also uh, apparently um, 
Somalian in intervention as well, too, though that's been disputed by the Somalian government. But at this point, I, I wouldn't doubt anything. Um, so, I mean, it's it's getting to the point where it's going to be a, a worldwide humanitarian crisis. Uh, multiple governments have spoken out on it um, at this point. But, you know, it's it's something that if it's, it's not talked about and it's just going to keep happening um, with that. So, you know. Tens of thousands of refugees have had to flee. Um, refugee camps have allegedly been attacked um, as well, too, spilling over into Sudan, South Sudan um, as well. So, And then also um, ethnic profiling of Tigrayans in Ethiopia as well, too. Uh, they've had bank accounts seized. They've been forced from their homes. Uh, they, Ethiopian Airlines has... Uh, basically refused um, refused Tigrayans to be able to board their planes and be prevented uh, from overseas travel as well too, uh, which is you know unprecedented you know for a um, a nation that's seeking to be you know recognized as a you know one of the leaders in East Africa uh, to be able to take this uh, take this approach. Uh, with with an ethnic uh, minority, uh, so Nagasi Helu Abreha was the uh, Ethiopian champion uh, in cycling back in 2019. He had joined the Quebeca uh, Continental Team, uh, which was NTT Continental back uh, last year um, as well too, which is based in Italy. So he had been living in Italy and training, uh, ridden a few races with the team, um, uh, but he. Um, was going, he was bound to leave um, to go back home to Ethiopia, uh, was at the airport, and then got a text from his um, team director, uh, Kevin Campbell, who told him, you can't go home. Uh, just because of, it was when the fighting was just starting to break out there. Um, and he slept the night at the airport, um, got his bags back. They were already loaded onto the plane um, as well, too. Um, and then he's been staying in Italy the entire you know, winter, basically, um, and has barely spoken with his family um, there as well. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a story that you don't necessarily think about, um, but, you know, when the, you know... <laughs> And when you, when this conflict breaks out, you know it's going to, it's affecting people. And with uh, cycling's growth in Africa, it's it's really coming home. And we've heard over the years the struggles of air train riders uh, being stuck in the country, not being able to get visas to travel. Um, but this is taking it to new heights. Uh, the the one rider I remember, not to this extent by any means, in terms of you know how serious this conflict is, but uh, there was a Ukrainian rider, Marlon Zmorka. Uh, he was a good U23 rider. Uh, never really caught on as a professional, uh, but he, when Ukraine was going through their civil war, uh, he had gone back home to Ukraine and was stuck there once when the violence was really starting to escalate and had to sneak out of the country, basically, um, under cover of darkness, 
uh, some pretty clandestine stuff from what I remember, um, and to be able to get back to Italy. But, you know, he was off the bike for, you know, many weeks. Um, Zborka was a Muslim as well, too, so um, there was some complications there um, as well. So, you know, it's something that, you know, with cycling, it's, it's the human element that sometimes gets forgotten, uh, you know, especially with riders that are, you know, coming from war-torn countries um, and everything like that. But uh, all the best to Nagasi. I hope everything turns out well for him, and I hope the Biden administration really, um, you know, does something in terms of this war that's happening in Tigray um, and is able to de-escalate it and, you know, tensions can come down there as well. On some lighter news, uh, there is a pretty cool partnership that is happening uh, that uh, I think could really launch something big. Uh, so the USA Crit Series, which is a little bit pared down this year or just simply because of the uh, ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, they're really racing in states where, honestly, the safety and mask wearing is not necessarily at the highest um, as well, too. However, there, the, it is set to go off this year. Um, in any case, they are announcing a partnership with the UK Tour Series. Uh, the UK Tour Series is known for... Um, it's a very condensed calendar uh, of criteriums that go on throughout. Uh, it's been it's been going on for the last few years, and it's one of the big uh, events on the um, UK domestic scene, uh, given that they've had issues with a lot of race cancellations um, over the past few years. But this is the one series that has really been um, big for a lot of riders. Uh, so what it is is basically the... Uh, winners of the uh, UK Tour Series will um, be able to go over to um, the USA Crits finale in Winston-Salem um, this year. And then there's going to be an exchange where um, some USA Crit winners will be able to go over to the Tour Series, I believe, in 2022. Uh, so pretty cool partnership, honestly. And it really makes me think that you know there could be a world... Uh, speaking of like a UCI calendar, you know, there really could be a, a world calendar for criteriums, honestly, uh, if, if you were to think about it. Uh, just with the fact that we have um, some really big events here. Uh, there's a few different series in America, such as, you know, USA Crits. Then there's the Tour of America's Dairylands, which is about two weeks and has a ton of big money criteriums. And then Intelligentsia Cup um, is coming up as well, too. Plus, you know, there's some big, um, there's some other freestanding sort of criteriums as well um, throughout America. But then you think about um, BC, um, the Canadian Super Week in British Columbia. Uh, you know, there's the pro, the post-tour criteriums that could eventually, you know, if honestly, you know, some of them could be turned into actual criteriums that would be of worth to something. Australia has a bunch of criteriums. I know in Asia over the years there's been, you know, cr criteriums that popped up. There was the Criterium World Championships in Korea um, at some point as well too. So if you would think, you know, it, it could probably be something and then you could get some pretty specialized riders, get some riders from the track, get some, um, you know, Criterium specialists and you could really make a, a living off of it. So anyways, Partnership is definitely 
uh, some food for thought anyways. And, you know, I definitely think it's a step in the right direction to, um, you know, to build this up uh, so that we can continue to bolster that criterium calendar, calendar, which I'm a huge fan of anyway. So that's all I have for today. Uh, again, not safe for cycling, hoping, uh, to get some more episodes out here, try to make it a daily thing during the week anyways. Uh, and then honestly go from there. So in any case, have a good day. Be back tomorrow.